Focus your heart on the hope of the resurrection with Dr. David Jeremiah's classic book called Season of Hope, a celebration of Easter. You'll receive this timeless work when you make a donation of any amount to Turning Point. And when you give $100 or more, you'll receive a special four-pack so you can share Season of Hope with friends who need encouragement. Request your books and learn more when you visit davidjeremiah.ca. The Bible says God has given us everything we need for a life of godliness. Yet many believers still seem to be seeking what they already have. Are you one of them? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah and guest Sheila Walsh take a closer look at this in recapping his series, Everything You Need. Here to begin an encore presentation of her interview with Dr. Jeremiah is special guest Sheila Walsh. Well, this new series is amazing. Um, Everything you need. That's quite a promise. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain to us why you call this particular teaching series Everything You Need? Well, you know, I get most of my cues from the scripture. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I was reading that one day, aware of how many Christians run around from place to place trying to figure out how to get what they already have. And it it just struck me as kind of strange, you know. We don't need uh, more programs. We don't need more professionals. We just need more time in the Word of God because the Scripture says God has given us everything we need. What was it about this particular passage at this point? particular time. Do you think we're struggling in the church for lack of knowledge? Well, I think if there's one word that describes where everybody is today, I think it's the word pressure. Everybody seems like they're in a lot of pressure. And I have to be honest with you, Sheila, I got attracted to this particular passage because I think it's singularly one of the most perfect passages of scripture in the Bible. First of all, there's a promise at the beginning, and there's a blessing at the end, and in between are all the things you need to do to get from the promise to the blessing. And it's right in the text, and it just grabbed me so much. I, th- I got to share that passage because it's so powerful. Yeah. And you talk about this great adventure that begins with promises and ends in blessing. But I'm wondering, what about people who think, you know what, I wish I'd heard this message years ago. I'm too far beyond the promises of God. Well, you you know, the the wonderful thing about all that, Sheila, is God's promises are eternal. They never run out. So no no matter where you intersect with them, they still work. And you don't have to go back someplace and start over. God miraculously meets us wherever we are with whatever situation. And you know, it takes some of us longer to get the message. Isn't that true? We have to go through more stuff until we hear him speak. And then ultimately, because of what's going on in our life, I mean, I can't get over how many times as a pastor I've found that the things that happen to us in our lives are God's way of getting our attention so he can help us understand how much he loves us and what he wants to do to help us. You say that the promises of God are the foundation for this study. What do you mean by that? How does that impact the rest of the study? Well, Peter says that uh, God wants to give us his great power, and his power is amazing, and I talk about that in one of the early chapters. But then he says that power comes to us. It's like there's a power station over here, and the wires from that power station that come to our lives, he says are the exceeding great and precious promises of the Bible. How do you get God's power in your life? You get it through the scripture. 
You don't just get zapped with it. You don't put your Bible under your pillow at night and it shows up the next day. You know, uh, <laughs> that would be nice. You know, it, it, no, but the Bible says, as you study the scripture and you understand what it says, it's God's way of conveying his power right into your life. His great, exceeding, precious promises. So let's look at the things that Peter um, said that we should add to our faith. Okay. I thought it was interesting that the first thing he talks about is diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think Peter made that the very first step and what you call, I love this, a stumble-proof life? Well, I think it's important because it's the thing we usually don't bring to the process. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear a message, we think we should do it, but we don't do it diligently. And the word diligently is a very powerful word. It means make this a serious effort on your part and do it diligently. Practice it. Work on it. Don't put it off. Don't say, I'll get around to it. Get at it. Do it. Make it your main objective. The next thing that Peter talks about adding to our faith is virtue. Mm -hmm. That's not a word we use a lot in our culture anymore. What exactly is virtue? Well, let me explain why we don't use it very much, because there isn't very much of it in our culture. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, virtue, the best definition of virtue is moral excellence. Doing the right thing. You know, there, there is a right and there is a wrong. And the Bible helps us understand. You know, one of the best illustrations of it, and I talk about this in that chapter, is that when Jesus Christ was on this earth, he was the model of virtue. And the way we can see virtue in his life more than anything else is the Bible says he always did those things that pleased his father. That was how he wow. lived his life. And, you know, if you want to be a virtuous person, you can get real technical about it. You can make all kinds of lists. But let me just give you the, what I think is the secret. Learn how to live your life to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Do what pleases him. And you know what? You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to wonder what those things are. Because he tells you pretty much in his scripture by his life, by his testimony. As Jesus Christ pleased his father, our goal is to please our Christ. And I remember reading this, and this isn't in the book, but it's really a powerful statement. And it goes like this. If we will be to Christ what Christ was to his father, then Christ will be to us what his father was to him. So we're in that same little construct where if we, if we study the life of Jesus and we watch how he functioned with his father, we learn how to function with him. Peter says to that, to diligence and virtue, then we add knowledge. Hmm. I think this is an interesting one because we're living in a time where people think technically we have access to more knowledge than we ever had. But what kind of knowledge is Peter actually talking about? Well, let me just put a point in here for the importance of knowledge. Because there are a lot of people today who teach that if you really want to know Jesus Christ, you have to shut your brain off and just let your emotions rule. That's a bunch of craziness, and I hope that you haven't heard that and gotten caught up in it, because we can't do anything with what we don't know. It's important to know some things. Mm-hmm. And the, in the Bible, uh, we're taught, first of all, to study the Scripture and know what the Scripture says. And uh, there, there's some homework involved in that. It's blessed homework, but it's still homework. <laughs> you, you study the Scripture, you read the Word of God, you learn what the Word of God says, and the more you study, the more you know the hungry you get for more information. And I can say that after 50 years of doing that. I mean, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. That's one thing for sure. And the more you want to know. 
The next thing that Peter says we should add to our faith is self-control. And we live in a culture where we're getting bombarded every day with messages of you can have this and you can have it now. Mm. How do we learn self-control in this culture we're living in? Well, if we don't learn it, we won't make it. Uh, That's the truth. And um, there's so much out there that's begging for our attention and for our time and our commitment. And there's an interesting uh, little book in the Bible called the book of Titus. I'd like to encourage you to read that sometime. Let me tell you about the book. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to his protege, Titus. And Titus was serving in, in a place called the island of Crete. And uh, I'll never forget, he describes the people in Crete. And he says they're very unhappy people. And it was a very wicked little island. Hmm. In this letter to Titus, Paul instructs the elders to live with self-control. Why was he saying that? Because they were surrounded by all of this incredibly evil culture. And... If they were going to make it, they had to learn how to say no, how to walk away from stuff that was going to be uh, hurtful to them. And if they couldn't do that, Paul realized they wouldn't be able to survive. Well, we're like the island of Crete uh, on steroids. (laughs) You know, everywhere you look, there's all this stuff going on. How do you maintain your spiritual life if you cannot say, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to listen to that. Turn that off and walk away from it. Yeah. The next thing that Peter addresses is perseverance. What does it really mean to persevere? The best way to say that is perseverance is continuing when you don't want to. (laughs) Keep going when you want to quit. Don't stop. Wow. Here's what I've learned. Somebody told me this. When we think we can't do any more, there's still 60% more that we can do. We have our own little personal limitations that are comfortable to us. Mm. Perseverance is going beyond where you think you can go. And if especially when it's for for a reason that's spiritual. I mean, let's all of us here, if we're Christians, we're Christians because somebody persevered. Somebody preached the gospel when it wasn't easy. Somebody came to your home when they'd rather been home watching TV. Somebody prayed for you. Perseverance is one of the building blocks of who we are in Christ. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ persevered all the way to the cross? Amen. Amen. I love how you describe it. In in this teaching, you actually call it relentless determination. That's what it is. When you're involved in serving the Lord, um, the enemy comes along and he whispers in your heart, that's enough. You don't need to do that anymore. You're, You're finished. But you don't do that relentlessly you pursue you know if we have something that's hard for us to do and you get caught up in the immensity of it you will never be able to achieve it but you can achieve what comes tomorrow isn't it interesting god created the world like this he gives us days and hours and weeks and years he could have created this just like a an endless eternity even on this earth but i think those those places are good for us It's good that we have a week we can look back on. It's good that we have a day that we can say, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I can get here. And I just encourage people, try not to get so caught up in the past that you get depressed. And don't worry about the future because you're not there yet. Live today and ask God to give you the grace for today. And when you do that, he will do that. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
the next thing that Peter encourages us to add to our faith is godliness. And godliness is one of those words that just seems like it's kind of unattainable. It's very lofty. I love the way you describe godliness. Well, you know what, Sheila, can I just be honest with you? When I saw that list, I was pretty excited about everything that was on that list. When I saw godliness, I got, oh, no. <laughs> Because, you know, you know that, that's an intimidating word, isn't it? It is. You know, because, and it's been used in the wrong way by a lot of people. And, and sometimes it can make you feel like, well, I'm not even in this race. But let's face it. When you break that word down, it's simply this. To be godly is to try to be like God. That's all it means. To, to do what God would do. And it's not like we don't have an illustration because God in heaven, nobody has seen. You can't see him and live. So he sent his son down here, who was God in the flesh, and allowed us to witness his life for 30-some years and see what it looks like to live godly. And it's not all the high um, stuff that we put. You know what it was? It was helping a woman who was caught in adultery. It was uh, helping a father who lost his child. It was reaching out to people with love and kindness. When you see the life of Jesus on this earth and what he did, it's not all this doctrinal stuff we think about. It's the love and ministry we have with other people. That's what it means to be godly. Wow. That's powerful. There's a quote from this section of your teaching that I love, so I wrote it down. You said, as we progress in our Christian journey, we have an instinctive yearning to feel clean inside. And I think that yearning to be more like God sometimes causes a conflict within us Mm -hmm. because we're so aware of our own humanity. Um, It can feel like a never-ending task. What would you say to that? Well, I would say it's true what you said, you know, that we we do have a desire uh, to be clean inside. And that's one of the blessings of daily confession and daily, you know, we don't have to wait for a weekend or go someplace to confess our sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And then what's the rest of it? Cleanse us from Cleanse all, us from unrighteousness. all unrighteousness. Mm. So every day you just, and you know, have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, it's me again. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about this yesterday, but here I am again. (laughs) But, you know, your your willingness to continue that conversation with the Lord because you so desire for your life to be clean. When Peter talks um, about the next thing, when I came to this part of your teaching, I thought, I can't think of a time in our culture or in the church when we've needed this more. He talks about brotherly kindness. Why do you think Peter included that in this list? Well, because he lived in a time similar to us. He lived in a time when people went about talking about love and not examining their own lives to see if it's true. In many of these chapters, I would take the quality that's on the list, and then I try to find the central passage in the New Testament that taught that. And the central passage for that one is in Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Isn't that a wonderful passage? That's what brotherly kindness is. And if you unlock that passage, there's like four or five points in there that teach you what it means to be kind and loving to one another including a whole little section on not being angry 
And if you go back to Ephesians 4, it's about verse 25 or so, and read that section, you will have Paul's sermon on brotherly kindness and what it looks like. And it's all real simple. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's just the everyday things that we do that make a difference in who we are. Well, we come to the conclusion of Peter's list, and we're told to add love to our faith. And you point out the New Living Translation describes it as love for everyone. Mm-hmm. How do we do that when there's, I, I mean, I know there'll be many people out there who've been seriously hurt by someone. Mm-hmm. How do you love when you've been wounded? It's not natural. No. No, but it's supernatural. Yeah. You can only love that person through the love of Christ. And I think the key to us is to realize how unlovely we were when Christ died for us. The Bible even says it, you know. The Bible says it in so many different ways. He died for us when there really was no reason for him to do that. And here's what I've been learning in my life, Sheila. We love others out of the reservoir of God's love for us. If we don't learn that, we'll never be able to love the unlovely. And they're, they're everywhere, you know. Church is famous for collecting them, you know. And um, you have to learn by the grace of God. And when you think about it, I can't love that person. You just have to stop for a moment and, and thank God for the way he loved you because you weren't really a prize either. So, What are some practical ways that we can learn how to intentionally be loving? There's opportunities everywhere around us. I mean, this world is starving for the love of God. And, you know, the only love of God that anybody's ever going to feel or know is the love of God that comes through us. We are the hands and the arms of God through Jesus Christ. And if we don't show that love, they're never going to feel it. They're never going to sense it. And that's what it really is. It's being a channel for God's love to other people. Yeah. You talk about claiming God's promises. Um, So when we add these eight characteristics to our faith, what are the blessings that we can expect from God? Well, I can't go through all of those. We don't have time. But let me just tell you, there's seven of them. Five of them you get now. Two of them you got to wait for. This is one of the reasons that that I wrote this book, and this is what grabbed me. And listen, this is right from the Bible. I'm not making this up. Peter said, after talking about all these things, he said this, if you do these things, you will never stumble. I thought, can that be true? But then I thought back on them. If you lavishly devote yourself diligently to the growth of your life in the areas that he describes in that chapter, here's what he says. If you do these things, you will never stumble. And then he said at the end of them, the last one he said, you will go into eternity abundantly. Wow. In other words, it doesn't say if you do these things, you'll go to eternity because you can't work your way to heaven. It's not about going to heaven. It's about how you go to heaven. And he says, if you want to go to heaven, kind of slipping in the back door, you can do that. Or if you want to go to heaven with your hands up high, rejoicing that you've had the privilege of honoring the Lord and living for him during your lifetime, you can do that. He says, if you do these things, you will have an abundant entrance into heaven. Hallelujah. This is amazing. What a promise. Wow. That chapter has impacted me so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, this is Peter who sat at the Lord's feet saying to us, here's this promise. You do this and this will happen. And he didn't exactly live a perfect life. No. I mean, he had his moments. He had his trouble until he figured it out and got it right. 
and then was honored to be crucified upside down instead of being crucified right side up because he felt he wasn't worthy of the Lord he loved. As we bring this to a conclusion, let me ask you, how has studying this passage impacted your own life? You know, um, it's very emotional to me. It's just another reminder, you know, of the sufficiency of the Word of God. As I mentioned at the beginning, we have so many Christians running hither and yon, trying to find out what's wrong or what's missing or who can I talk to? What great preacher can I listen to? What sermon can I watch on TV? Send me that CD. I got to have this worship experience. And then you read this simple letter and it says, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Now, the fact that he's given it to us as a gift, Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. In other words, God has worked it in, now you work it out. God's given you this gift, and go do it. Wow. When people come to the end of this book, to the end of this series, what's your, I know you pour your life into these for so long. What's your prayer that as people finish this, that they will walk away with? 20 years ago, I went through two bouts of lymphoma cancer, a really difficult time in my life. I had a stem cell transplant, and I've been free of cancer since then. I'm so grateful for that. But listen, I went to the Mayo Clinic right after I was uh, diagnosed, and they did a major um, exploratory surgery, cut me from head to toe almost. And I got home after I'd been there for a while, and went into my house and uh, we had a recliner in the living room I went and sat in that recliner and Donna brought me a stack of cards that had come while I was gone from people and on top of that stack of cards was this book and the book was written by Gordon McDonald a man that I had known uh, from the past and the book was called The Life God Blesses you can't imagine how hungry I was to read that book after what I'd just been through. I wasn't asking the why question anymore. I was asking the what question. Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? So I opened that book, and before I got through the first chapter, he told a story, and I'm just going to summarize the story. I'll never forget it. He talked about a guy uh, whose name was Michael Plant, who was, he was a champion yachtsman, and he was getting ready to try to make the the fastest journey from America to France in his sailboat, which was a state-of-the-art sailboat. And he took off from the United States, and a little way into his journey, they lost contact with him. Eleven days later, they found his boat upside down near the Azores Island, I think, And that's very unusual. I'm not a sailor, but I'm very unusual because sailboats are like uh, the balloons that you put in the water. You hit them in the top and they come back up. And the reason for that is sailboats have a ballast underneath them to overcompensate for everything that's above water. And the ballast on Michael Plant's boat was 8,400 pounds. When they found his boat, the ballast was missing. They didn't know what happened. Maybe it wasn't bolted right. Maybe it came off, and they they had all kinds of reasons. But the boat couldn't function because what was above the waterline was heavier than what was below the waterline. And I'll never forget that impact in my life. Jeremiah, 
don't worry so much about what's going on above the waterline. Make sure you take care of what's going on below. Because you can't sail your boat through the storms if you haven't built beneath the waterline of your life, which is what all these principles are about. And that's what I'd like you to take away. We all got to be successful. We got our stuff to do, our jobs to do, our places to go. But if we're not careful, we forget that we can't function as believers if we don't have a ballast that holds us upright when the storms come. Hey, you know, I like to read, and the other day I was reading uh, some things that Spurgeon said, and he said this, In your life, the Holy Spirit is the oil, and you are the wick. Make sure you burn the oil and not the wick. And boy, does that ever go along with what we've been learning in this series. God has given us everything we need. The Spirit of God living within us is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think. Let's trust Him to do it. Let's not try to usurp His role. It's so easy for us to get into that mode. And uh, I think maybe this series will help us stay focused on the power of God to enable us to do His work. God's commandments are God's enablements. You can count on it. That's what we learn from the Scripture. Well, tomorrow we begin a brand new series. Uh, That series is called Courage to Conquer, special passages from the Bible that inspire you to go forward when difficult times come. I know you won't want to miss one day of that because we need it in our lives, every one of us. Have a great day, friends. We'll see you next time right here on This Good Station. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Everything You Need, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules. 10 God-given strategies for moving forward. This helpful resource is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we begin the series, Courage to Conquer. On Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print, with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash JSB. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash JSB. I heard someone say that there are two sides to every argument and they're usually married to each other. Well, that observation raises a smile. There is a wealth of wisdom in it. 
The reason God created the first woman was because the first man was incomplete. He was only one side of the argument. Like all couples, my wife and I have found ourselves on opposite sides of a discussion many times. But we've also learned that if we remove the emotion from the moment, we find our opposite views can lead us to a solution neither one of us would have discovered by ourselves. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life, discover God's plan for marriage on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.